Welcome to the Parker Edison Project. I'm Parker Edison. For episode three, I get to sit with a very unique fashion house located in Barrio Logan. So now I basically design and make everything in the studio, right? Like, so I do all the sewing, all that kind of stuff, but we utilize recycled, repurposed, and reclaimed fabrics. Plus, we hear from the creator of Art Wrap, Open Mic Eagle. There's something different happening. We need a different thing to call this stuff. And so I started calling... My music art rap is just a, an attempt to distinguish what me and some other people were doing from what was going on in the mainstream. I really felt like that was necessary at the time. That's next on the Park Redison Project. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's just so crazy to like <laughs> have all this stuff. And it's like, you know, like human nature where we're just kind of like always like, you know, that comparison thing of like, have we not done enough? And like, you know, and... Or should we be further along after putting in so many years and stuff like that? You start yeah. thinking like that, but then you really have to get to be like, look at all the stuff that we have, that we, that we do have, that we do have, as opposed to what we don't. You are now tuned to the Parker Edison Project. Good morning, and welcome to season three of the Parker Edison Project. A noun is a person, place, or thing. In my opinion, culture is a noun. Each one of our seasons so far has been a version of it. Season one was about people. We featured stories that were so riveting, we could just press play and let the magic shine. Season two was things, unique topics, ideas that the guests unwrapped or expounded on. Season three, places. Geopolitics, the way environments, people, and power work in a continuum. The topic of this episode is art, which Webster's defines as the application of human skill and imagination. Plants are grown by the soil they're in, and art's no different. It grows, feeding on the elements that surround it. Detroit made cars, so its Motown record label made music drivers could drive to. Art is the human manifestation of whatever that city produces. In the 90s, my first guest was the artist in residence for the neighborhood of Sherman Heights. Her name is Jean Cornwall Wheat. And if you've ever been to San Diego's Malcolm X Library, you've seen her handiwork. Let's get a professional's definition on art. What's your name and what do you do for a living? My name is Jean Cornwell Wheat. I'm a volunteer grandparent to foster kids for the last 20 years. And I've been an illustrator. I've been a professor at San Diego City College. Basically, I'm an artist. Kooky and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what is art? Life. What inspires you? Everything. I think when you become an artist or interested in art and any of the arts, and not just visual art, but dance, theater, poetry, literature, your eyes open a little bit bigger, a little bit wider, and you take in a little bit more every time you look out and reach for it. So everything inspires me. How would you describe your work? 
eclectic, fazzy, <laughs> mm-hmm. searching. I think one of the things, especially with African-American artists, we kind of get caught in between everything else because in this country, we were raised with European art mm-hmm. and that European buys of do's and don'ts and rules and et cetera, which is not bad, but it's limiting. I've been trying to get away from that for a long time and not get stuck into just painting Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and you know, Muhammad Ali or whatever, you know, just not all African-American history, etc., although that's part of my heart. I also want to express how I feel and how I see the world and other people and other things. I want to play, especially at this time in my life. I want to be the freedom and have the freedom to play. So that's where, I'm, where I am right now. Is paint your primary medium right now? No. What is? Everything. <laughs> no one in front of me. I'll, I'll try spaghetti if you put it in front of me. <laughs> 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 um, no, I love I love sculpture. I love clay. I love bronze. I love metal. I like wood. I've worked in wood and mahogany, and I'm a curious person. And when if I see something done, I want to know how it was done and how they do it, and I want to try it. So that's what and I've been doing for a long time. One of the reasons that I asked the question is while I was researching you, I found that you have quite a reputation as a skilled photographer. In addition to, according to the internet, you're a well-respected youth mentor in places like the San Pasquale Academy. This got me to wonder, is art a form of philanthropy or is philanthropy just a part of your art? But basically, I think I try to express myself in this way I see and feel through art. The philanthropy part? Okay, it's out there. <laughs> but it's not, a, it's not a big part. It's not the main dish. It's, it's the dessert. <laughs> mm, I like yeah. that. I read this quote and it, it was attributed to you and it really, really interested me. It said, there are moments in time when art, artists, and that invisible primal urge merge and become one. Yeah. What does that mean? It means the zone. And it's not just art, but there's a lot there's a lot of things in life where you, you, you find yourself in the zone. And that zone becomes spiritual. It becomes part of you. It be, you become part of it. It's a very exclusive spot to be at that time when you're working on something. You know, if you're dancing, you can get into that zone. You know, even, you know, vocalists can get into that zone and know they've got it perfectly and wonder where did that come from? It's not them. So a lot of times I'll finish painting and I'll stand back and look at it for years, really, and wonder who did that painting. I didn't do it. It may have come through me, but I somehow I managed to get into that zone. I can't explain it much more than that. It's it's a combination of spirituality and passion and art and and being a human being. Jean just touched on an important thing: workflow, that magic momentum that yields an artist's best work. Not far from Sherman Heights. A pair of entrepreneurs in Barrio Logan are utilizing that same energy to express themselves on fabric and film. What's your name? What do you do for a living? So my name is Claudia Rodriguez Bazunski. I'm the owner, designer and creator of Soloka. Where's Soloka located? We're located in Barrio Logan. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's your work background? So my work background, I think it really started when I was like 12. My dad was a denim distributor. And so, you know, kind of like seeing him like, you know, just kind of figure it out and like hustle it. Like, I feel like that's where I got a lot of like my skill set. If that's where you started from. Yeah. Tell me what you do now, but 
only in a hundred words. So now I basically design and make everything in the studio, right? Like, so I do all the sewing, all that kind of stuff, but we utilize recycled, repurposed and reclaimed fabrics. So everything that we use is like recycled. So we're not going out to like buy any kind of fabrics or anything like that, unless it's at a estate sale or it's a blanket at like a thrift store. So we're very, very mindful of like where our fabrics come from. Like we really want to make sure that as a like clothing company, we're not creating more waste. If you walk around in the studio, there'll be like bins that are like labeled like this is denim scraps this is like t-shirt scraps this is sweater scraps and so everything is like a scrap it's basically organized and then we create something out of that where do you find your inspiration I love color. Like I've always like enjoyed color. Like I feel like even when you walk into the studio, like there's so much color, like in the ceiling and all that. And I feel like the psychology behind like color, how does it make you feel? And I've always been kind of like that person where it's like, they don't belong together. So let's kind of force them together. So I feel like I'm really good at like putting like pattern pieces together that traditionally wouldn't go together. And I feel like that was like more out of like necessity as a kid where it's like, you know, we're on a budget, all that. So I do like pushing the envelope with that where it's like they're not supposed to be together so it's like how do we like put them to where it looks good and so I find a lot of like inspiration with like um a lot of patterns that shouldn't go together so yeah okay okay what factors influence the price of your works so we utilize a lot of like patches that are like vintage patches. I like a lot of stuff from like the 60s and 70s fabrics that are from that time frame too. So it just depends on like how rare a patch is, how much time we put into something. Like uh, some of the stuff is like bleached. Some of it is like dyed. And so it really just depends. We're really working on like, you know, creating things that, that still hold a lot of value at like a really affordable price point because we really want for anyone to be able to like buy like an original Soloka piece. And that's where we're kind of at right now. When you say an original piece. Yeah. Is that couture? So it is. Um, and so we're more like streetwear where we want for you to kind of like, like my whole thing, like my whole style is like, I want to be comfortable, but I also want to look presentable and like, I want to look cute. And I want people to like basically saying a statement with clothes that you don't have to open your mouth to be able to be like, this is how I feel about it. You know, I get a lot of inspo and all that kind of stuff with like, mainly like comfort and then like adding like style to it. That sounds like art. Yeah. If it's not mass produced, <laughs> it sounds like art. Yes. It, and you know what? It's been really difficult because it's like, I originally told my parents, I was like, I want to be an artist when I grow up. And like, it was not you know they were like you should do something where it's like you know where you could be able to like make money and do all that kind of stuff and for me like I've always been like a creative kid you know like I've been creative since I was like really really small being able to be labeled as an artist like obviously like means a lot because it's like I feel like I did so much time to be able to like figure myself out as like who am I like what is my value to this world and all that kind of stuff and I feel like sewing has always been like very disregarded as like an art form you know it's very rare when we make like five of the same one and so uh, we really want people to feel that like that clothing piece that they're wearing it was made for them because we're not mass producing them we're not mass-produced humans 
anyone like comparing each other to like someone else is like so toxic and it's like i don't want to make you feel like that in my clothes i want you to be like this was made for me you know and like that pride of like i only have this and so i think that that's when i realized i was like like i want to create stuff that is like for everyone that's crazy because it makes me think that it is art and then when people put it on they become a different type of art or or an evolution of that an extension of that art yeah what are your ultimate career goals I really would love to dress people that are like performing, that are doing a lot of like really cool stuff, taking the business to where it's like it could be very sustainable so I could like spend more time with like my family, you know, all that. But I think like genuinely like dressing like performers, artists, like people that like want to like make a statement, like getting to that point of like creating like these really like intricate like pieces for people where you know they could wear it and feel some kind of way so i think that that's where i would want for soloka to like basically like move to the next level what's your name what do you do for a living my name is manny bizunski i'm the creative director and filmmaker at soloka do you do the promotion for soloka yes yes so basically claudia does all the sewing everything like that and then basically i just try to film all the content, take the pictures of everything, maintain the website and just edit and produce the videos. Wow. How do you describe your style in terms of of a video? You know, it's crazy for me to say because a lot of the people that I went to film school with, they'd probably be like, you know, they not that they would look down on it, but you know, my medium right now is the cell phone. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, I use the phone for everything. I, we use the phone to shoot everything. We use the phone to edit. And, you know, for a while I was very hesitant with it, you know, just thinking about what would other people think that are in the same field. But I've, I've, within these last few years, I've kind of leaned into it a little bit more and kind of owned it, you know, and uh, just ma- mainly because I've seen other people that are highly, highly skilled, you know, create beautiful, beautiful work on the cell phone. So it's inspired me, you know, and it's just a way for us to be creative every single day and do it efficiently you know um we could make a video like have a thought you know claudia usually has like a cool thought we run in here we film it i go by my little room by myself i edit it on the phone so i'm not disturbing anyone with all like the editing noise and then by the end of the day we post it on instagram and you know you could have twenty thousand people immediately see it you know and it's it's just it's that instant reaction of like wow we did something creative and we're getting responses and it's like yeah why not why not in general, who are your biggest artistic influences? They're definitely all filmmakers. You know, um, I would say the surrealism of David Lynch, you know, the independent thinking of Spike Lee growing up in New York, definitely a huge influence. And then also more recently, there's a filmmaker called Sean Baker. He's not as well known, but he created this beautiful film called Tangerine. Um, and he shot it all on iPhone fives. You know, and he has just such an authenticity to his films and everything like that. And the fact that he was just able to create such a masterpiece using nothing but the phones. I mean, it not only sparked something in me, but I know it sparked something in a bunch of other people, too. And he influenced the whole generation. And um, yeah, I'm just waiting for that first, you know, Oscar nominated film or whatever to film all on cell (laughs) cell phones and everything. And maybe people won't poo poo it as much. You know, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Fair, fair. And shout out iPhone 5. I got <laughs> I got two of those joints. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I do the 5S. Yeah. I'm faithful. That's what he shouted out, 5S. Hey, faithfully. Faithfully. Manny, what's what's your dream project? I would love to do 
a Soloka documentary called Skills Pay Bills. I know we do little clips and everything like that, but just like a full documentary of us, you know, trying to break through to that next level, trying to work on a project, trying to do something like that, just something where we just really take what we're doing here in these small clips and just make it into something bigger that we could show at a film festival. Sheesh. Okay. Okay. Um, how, well, because you're married, how <laughs> do you manage the work-life balance as a, as a couple? You know, I don't think we have it quite figured out yet. So I don't want to give any pure advice because we are in the process of really kind of getting out of that mindset of just like embracing that we're just workaholics. Yeah. You know, and we've done, we've ran on that for so many years and, you know, it's helped us in some ways, but we've seen that eventually you run out of fuel. Yeah. So it's not a very sustainable mindset. Mm -hmm. We want to keep it growing. We want to keep always thinking about the business and putting an effort, but then what are we doing this for? Yeah. We want to have a good relationship, a good family. We want to raise a good daughter. We want to have all these things. And you can't do that if everything is just solely focused on the work. Yeah. It's work to actually figure out how to maintain that balance. And we have to say to ourselves, like, hey, the shop closes at five, you know, but we've had to really be actively holding each other accountable and making that happen. It's not something that just happens naturally for us because if we had it to our own, we would be in the sewing studio all the time and never leave. But we do get burnt out, you know, yeah. we don't want to get burnt out. Right, right. Yeah. That's a high price to pay for success. Burning yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. What's the what's your least favorite part of owning a business? <laughs> Anything non creative. <laughs> yeah. The admin stuff balance sheet all that stuff it is it's stuff that we would put off and procrastinate with you know but it's it has to be done it's part of like we can't have a business without it but um it's yeah anything that's non-creative we just it it just takes a lot to do to do it you know out of us you know but we have to realize that not everything can yeah. be totally creative with it like it, 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 it in the business part of it you know it has to we have to sell everything that we make yeah you know we have to and it has to be a profitable and we have to make sure that we can have stuff for our daughter you know because yeah. like, this is both of our lives so i don't there's no extra income coming from anywhere else but the shop yeah so we have to really do have to treat it like a business even though it it makes us hurt inside a little bit yeah you have a 10-year-old daughter? Yeah. Do you think you're raising an artist? Yeah. Yes. For sure. Yeah. For sure. She's an amazing writer, you know, which I'm really proud of because she gets that from Manny. But she's just a very, like, you know, super compassionate, like, very loving, like, you know, girl that, like, you know, she, she's just, like, going through, like, the phase of, like, being 10 and, like, all the gossip in class and like you know all that kind of stuff and she's a great artist she's like really good at drawing like anything creative she loves doing so we definitely know that she's headed into that path i remember i would be afraid to even tell my mom i wanted to be an artist or whatever you know but i don't want her to to feel afraid to to say that we want to embrace that Mm -hmm. you know as a as a viable career path yeah so loca is an art house and wears of their garments are the canvases One of the things that fascinates me about Claudia and Manny is how they multitask. They juggle store owning, art, 
parenting. It all calls for this compartmentalization that functions as a type of organization. It's sort of how they keep things in order. I think that thing that would be considered an obstacle in another field helps the Bozinskis to maintain their workflow. That's nuts. I got one more guest on this topic of art. We've had sculpting and paint, photography with Gene Cornwall Wheat, fashion and film with the cats from Soloka. When we come back from this break, let's talk about rap. Stay tuned for more of the PEP. PEP. In 2023, hip-hop is turning 50 years old, and there's no better way to celebrate this monumental anniversary than by playing the Questions Hip-Hop Trivia Game, based on the acclaimed live event turned online show and podcast of the same name. The Questions Hip-Hop Trivia features 300 cards to challenge and entertain everybody from casual listeners to the most die-hard liner note reading rap nerds. The Questions Hip-Hop Trivia, Available wherever you get games and books or order yours at www.questionshiphop.com. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. And now back to the PEP. My next guest wears a dozen hats, each one artsier than the last. Who are you and, and what do you do for a living? Uh, my name is Open Mike Eagle. Um, for a living, I make things. Those things are sometimes that thing is music. Sometimes that thing is podcasts. Sometimes that thing is television shows. And that's writing, being on camera. Yeah, those are the three main things in terms of what I do for a living, like the things that, that pay me. I'm having you on this particular episode because I'm on the topic of art, mm-hmm. these, these different uh, genres and, and mediums of art. And you coined the phrase of art rap. And I want to know why. So I started using that term in like 2009. I was driving to one of my fraternity brother's weddings. And it was a drive from LA to Vegas. I did solo. So, you know, it was just... I was thinking about how in rock music, there's all of these sub-labels, there's all of these distinguishing traits, there's all these bins at the record store for all these different types of rock music. Um, you could have bluegrass, you could have punk, you could have heavy metal, and you could have art rock. And I was like, damn, it would be really cool if rap had that, especially at the time, because I think that was a particularly bad time for mainstream rap. It was very homogenous. It was about to get weird, but it hadn't yet. So it was just super boring, I felt like. And there was music that people, or me and people who I would consider peers, um, Serengeti, Shabazz Palaces, Danny Brown was coming around that time. I was like, there's something different happening. We need a different thing to call this stuff. And so I started calling my music art rap. It's just a, an attempt to distinguish 
what me and some other people were doing for what was going on in the mainstream. I really felt like that was necessary at the time, like mostly for consumers, like not really for us, but just so people could know that when they stumbled into this corner of rap, that they should expect to be hearing something different. Mm. That makes a lot of sense, man, especially uh, even with those names you just mentioned, like Shabazz Palaces is a perfect example of that. It makes total sense. What's what's the criteria if I want to be a, if I want to be a qualifier? See what I did there? If I want to be a qualifier. <laughs> you know, that's been the funny thing over the years. That's been hard to define. I think one of the reasons that maybe art rap was not the best label is because something in that implies that there's going to be some aesthetic similarities between acts in that subgenre. And that's not true. If you look at the modern day people who get labeled art rap, it would be like myself, Billy Woods, uh, Quilly Chris, Rap Ferreira. But we all make very different music from each other. Mm. Like we all complement each other well, I think, because we all kind of come from the same home planet. But like we don't do the same thing. So what I'm really starting to understand is the actual list of character traits that I'm trying to say we are this. It's really mostly about being like fiercely independent and making a lot happen without a lot of resources. It's about not having a machine. And it's about like making music with with an urgency of like survival and continuing to put all of your chips on yourself and whatever you decide your sound is like that freedom is really like what makes me feel kin to other rappers. It's almost the, uh, the tools that you're using are almost like a defining factor. And the tools that we don't have access to mm. and how we make it happen without any of that. That's almost the core of rap itself, though, right? Like right. that's the, the right. lack of instruments. Okay. Which makes me wonder if that's part of the, the criteria then. So are most of the early acts like the School Ds, even maybe the Sugar Hills, do they do they fall into to art rap for that? Probably not, um, because now it's more of a choice when then there wasn't a bunch of choices like they were they were literally pioneering the way. So, you know, lack of resources just define the era because nobody knew what rap was going to be like. There were no resources to command then. like all any of them had was whether or not people liked what they were doing. That's all they had. And now there's resources. So now there's choices. Now you can choose to make a product that you want everybody in the world to like. And then if, and if you succeed at that sort of thing, then you get, you can get a lot of resources behind you because a lot of, there's a lot of entities that would like to make money with you. But if you're making something unique, if you're making something that it's meaningful to you and that's the chief factor, then that's a choice. I don't think Schoolie D was making he wasn't making PSK thinking only a handful of people are going to like this. I don't think that that's what was in his mind. Maybe it was, but I don't think it was. I think that all of them were trying to do what they thought would appeal to the most people. You know, and I've talked to some of my peers about it. Like, it's it's a conscious choice. Like, we're, we're making what we want to make. We're making what... And in that, it, I guess in that sense, it feels more like the traditional definition of art. Mm-hmm. You know? Because it's meaningful. It's, it's because it's what I want to hear. It's because this is what, this is the music that I want to contribute to the world as a creator. There's no sense that 10 billion people are going to like it, even though I'd love if that was the case. Right. Right. But that's not the center goal. Can't be. I'm personally not equipped to operate that way. We'll come back to that because that's, okay. that's an 
Interesting point. Who's who's on uh on your art rap rushmore right now? Serengeti, Doom, two, mm-hmm. Prince Paul, three, and me. Oh, those are that's that's my rushmore. I'm not mad at that. Got to big up yourself. <laughs> I'm always like really amazed at the the variety of things that mm-hmm. that show up on your radar and that you you mention, even that you reference in your work. And uh, I was wondering how do you how you stay so tuned in to pop culture? So I just have been a, a very active consumer of pop culture and entertainment for as long as I can remember. In that, I'm, I feel like it's easy to stay somewhat in tune um, just because I, I like watching TV. I like watching movies. I like reading comics. I like I used to like reading real books a lot. I've mm-hmm. done that so much lately. So, there, I mean, I think there's just an essential curiosity that I've always had. And and I've often fed that curiosity with media, you know. And for me, like rap is always this cool opportunity to like point out the things that have stuck with me that my brain won't let go of. And I feel like rap's a good place to put that stuff, you know. That that comes out and it's really endearing because it'll you're often mentioning these things that are uh like ubiquitous, like they're right. not everywhere. And so it makes it real personal. Like, oh shit, yo, he said da, 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 da. Are you are you ever worried that you'll go over listeners' heads? I'm not worried about it. It's just a fact of life. You mm. know, like I am about to be forty two years old. You know, I grew up in Chicago in the eighties and I went to Southern Illinois University in the late nineties and early two thousands and I've lived in LA ever since then. I mean, I don't want to say it's like a unique life, but every person's life is very unique. And in that sense, like I can only really discuss things that I know about or have experienced and just mathematically. Right. Not everybody's going to have experienced the things that I've experienced. But since I value very much staying true to that, that means I'm going to say things that not everybody understands. And I just kind of have to have an awareness of that unless I want to do my thing in some new way. The things that I'm referencing, even if, like you say, they're not ubiquitous, they are real to me. They meant something to me. And that alone is enough of a reason for me to invoke anything. I love that. And I love the way it manifests, not just in in your lyrics, but in your actions. You know, you're you jump into these different these different genres, just like you were, you were mentioning, it, it might be um, the space of TV or podcasts or uh, battle rap. It's in it's in a comedy, and uh, I'm just kind of curious. You do you have a favorite medium? I think it, I think it is still rap music. I think that's still my favorite thing to make. Started cooking in the pandemic. I like <laughs> I, I, I like cooking too. I've, I've I've grown an affinity for that, um, and it's nice to have something that I can enjoy making that's not tied into my income. You know, I started um, building computers in the pandemic too, and I found that very satisfying. But again, like again, it's like just a personal sort of satisfaction, not like. I'm building the best computers in the world. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, this is a nice way for me to like put a puzzle together that's going to increase my capacity. But it's also like a very Zen activity. Like you can put 
something on in the background, music, whatever, and and you're just tinkering with this thing, putting it together. And then at the end of a couple hours, you press this power button and then there's a computer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It's, it, I just found it very soothing. Fair enough. I'll take your word for it, man. I'll take your <laughs> word for it. And actually, speaking speaking of weird stuff, I need to settle an argument. Your your newest project is called a tape called Component System with the auto reverse. And and me and my homeboy have been arguing for, you know, a, a little while now on whether or not that's a nod to a tribe called Quest with that title. Uh, it is certainly uh, an invocation. It is not completely a nod because all of my album titles in, in my heart are these long sentences. But certainly calling something a tape called components, it's, it's certainly using the grammar of a tribe called Quest. I'm not necessarily trying to say this album relates to a tribe called Quest, but the, certainly the grammar of a thing called thing, you know, right. is is informed by a tribe. And, the, the, you know, the vibe throws me back into that that season as well, man. If I look at where I was aiming, the colors that I was attempting to paint with, that is certainly the goal. It's just that I would never like I wouldn't even know how to really like Midnight Marauders is my favorite rap album of all time. Mm. It might be my favorite album of all time, but like it's certainly my favorite rap album of all time. And so in my mind, in my heart, that level of painting with those colors is untouchable. Mm. So I wouldn't call that what I was attempting to do. But certainly I I hope to move in the honor of that, you know, like in the grace of that sort of expression with those colors. Yes, sir. That's honorable. That's honorable. This is a two-part question, and and, uh, I actually got a chance to interview you, and it was real impromptu. Uh, You're playing a show here in San Diego. It's a sleep better. It's very unorthodox. Oh, yeah. And I I was able to get a quick interview with you, and I got a recording of the performance. You you told me that you were like, you can use whatever you want from this performance. Before I do jump into that, where should listeners go to stay up on what you're doing? Uh, MikeEagle.net is the website. Um, I have up until this point been very active on Twitter. We'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm at Mike underscore Eagle on there until it all burns down. Hey, and with that, could you please do me the favor of introducing the song? This is the first song that I ever wrote that in my mind, right after I recorded the demo, I was like, this is a hit. it was from my 2014 album dark comedy it's produced by pg-13 the song's called qualifiers I hear the darkest blues Might not be synesthesia Might be apartment fumes Good, good, get up and dance Good, good, get up and dance I will, will wipe my son's hands And get shit on my hands Eager in my car will be like daddy Play some bus driver Why the fuck you take two lines To do a one-liner And why you take three beats To do a two-step Six days I got two left So I take five They move back and make dad jokes So I'm flat broke Mad at loss in that black smoke Oh, if you're a black man, then it's a 
y'all speak for black folk. Uh, stupid, beautiful white man. Think I can't speak for black folk? Then that's so. And your rap post and your head hurt. And your back broke. I'm half crack smoke and half black soap. I get bitch and it's an imperfect blend. Hold up, it's my turn again. I'm playing 13 games on words with friends. And lift your hands, lift your head. If your clothes are clean and your kids fed, my body drains. Let me piss the bed and until I beat it like infrared. Yeah, we the best mostly. Sometimes the freshest rhymers. We the tightest kinda. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my respect my. We the best mostly. Sometimes the freshest rhymers. We the tightest kinda. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my respect my. They say they looking for me, but I don't wanna hear it. You can find me get your park district balanced with my head disheveled and my sneakers scuffed. Or use your GPS and get your silly beaches up. I went to Africa, they played me on the radio, and then I weird the people out. Yeah, maybe so, 'cause all they knew was jive, and all I do is vibe. And the bright green light makes the program director lose his mind. He said, "What type of rap is that? Ain't no bitches hoes, and I ain't even being funny, homie." Did Should have said it's whimsical, like Serengeti taught me. My thoughts are very lofty. Response time is very faulty. I'm far too young to lead and way too old to die. I ain't play Call of Duty, smoke you in golden eye. RPG bold to die. Take PG Kobe tie. PG 13 Cobra tie. BPG Luke Robert tie. We the best mostly. Sometimes the freshest bikers. We the tightest kinda. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers. Respect my qualifiers, respect my qualifiers, respect my, respect my. We the best mostly, sometimes the freshest rhymers. We the tightest kinda. Respect my qualifiers, respect my qualifiers, respect my qualifiers, respect my qualifiers, respect my. I didn't write the words they hear me singing. Seen a line before this once, and you were not the one I was addressing. That person took a train to Africa, and simultaneously, it's gonna happen. We're isolated temporarily, and the part is never part of the whole thing. So it bothers us to know it's over. Thanks for stopping in. Parker Edison Project is produced and hosted by yours truly, Parker Edison and the good people at Platform Collection. Be sure to subscribe and catch the next episode on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, visit theparkeredisonproject.com and please, please leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. My guy Chris Reyes is our head editor. Adrian Villalobos is media production specialist. Lisa Jane Morissette is director of audio programming and operations. And John Decker is senior director of content development. This programming is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Content Fund. Hey, I love saying that because it reminds me of Sesame Street. Seriously, y'all stay safe out there.